What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. In October, we usually dedicate the month to leadership lessons in athletic training. And again, we're doing that with one of what is possibly the most popular musical of all times, or at least it's my favorite musical that I've ever seen because I don't really like musicals. But I really like Hamilton. I sing the songs, you know, and like everybody else, I modify the songs to fit my situation. So uh, for our foster daughter, you know, uh, when you're saying the my name is Alexander Hamilton, and so I just changed it up to fit with what we call my foster daughter, and now we have two foster daughters. So I loved the musical Hamilton, and Patrick O'Haver said he's always got a plan. John Seco, you know, last year when we talked about this, he was like, oh, that's a really good idea. So we've kind of centered on King George and what comes next. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash King George. If you want to catch any of the show notes or ways to contact us, get a hold of us, again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash King George, because we're talking about what comes next. Patrick? King George says, what comes next? You've been freed. Do you know how hard it is to lead? You're on your own. Awesome. Wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? Oceans rise empires fall. It's much harder when it's all your call, all alone across the sea. When your people say they hate you, don't come crawling back to me. And then we all know the da 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 part. There you go. I spared everyone the agony of trying to sing that, so my apologies. But the lesson in this little part of Hamilton is Everyone thinks leading is easy, but it's not. So what comes next? You know, you, you wanted to move up to a leadership position in your company or school or even a, a professional organization, uh, your district, your state, even NATA. Just as young America made the leap into independence, now you're given the opportunity to lead. So the question in our episode today, do you know how hard it is to lead? And as a former supervisor of a uh, hospital outreach based program up here in uh, Northwest Indiana, I was given the task of leading approximately 25 athletic trainers. Some of these athletic trainers were my peers and that in itself was a difficult part uh, to lead your, your peers. I really, I resonate with this song in Hamilton. Uh, I will give credit to my wife who uh, puts it on for background music, the musical on Disney plus. So I don't know. I've watched, different parts of Hamilton. I don't know, probably as many times as you have, Jeremy. So as you watch it and you're, as for background music, uh, you, you kind of get different points out of the, out of the musical. So, and as I knew in, in Hamilton, it would be difficult to leave. However, I didn't realize the full extent in the leading until I was in that situation. It's just, it's, it is difficult to lead and not just your peers, but to lead a cohesive group of athletic trainers. I was fortunate enough to have mentors that were in leadership positions, and I observed them through my career, taking mental notes and what I would do, how I would respond, and how I would overreact and respond, however. I learned much during my tenure as that supervisor of athletic training services, and I dealt with a lot of specific leadership strategies and challenges, and I will you know, give credit to the first season of the sports medicine broadcast when we talked where you guys talked about uh, extreme ownership and Jocko Willick's uh, book. That was really a, a watershed moment for my leadership and then got me uh, thinking about different leadership uh, techniques and uh, topics and kind of leads us into Hamilton uh, where young America and leaders of young America were trying to lead a new nation. So um, you, that theme of what comes next or how hard it is to lead resonates through the whole musical. George Washington tells Hamilton uh, many times, you know, winning was easy. Leading is harder. Uh, winning was easy. Uh, governing is harder. So uh, I'll uh, kind of throw it to you, Mr. Jeremy, what are your thoughts on how hard it is to lead? I think in the simplicity of the question, it is, it's really easy to lead, but leading well, kind of, as you mentioned there is really hard. And earlier this week, Dr. Matt Coots and Dr. Josh Allen, you know, they talked about being a leader versus a manager. They said a, a good leader knows their 
people and not their stuff, right? So they don't, they, it's not the check boxes, but they know how to utilize and maximize the talents of their people around them. And one of the things that Dr. Matt Coots said in that podcast that I, that really went with me is the most productive person in the room is not usually the best leader. So the leader is, shouldn't, doesn't have to be the most productive person in the room. Right. And then obviously you mentioned Jocko and, you know, I listen to the Jocko podcast when I'm running and he's talking about, you know, when you're coming into a situation, he talks about it all the time. Don't come in and say, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Come in, listen, ask questions, get a feel for the room, take the people who are already in there and say, Hey, this is, what are y'all doing? Well, what are you not doing? Well, you know, that kind of thing. And so leading well is really, really difficult because it's, you're dealing with people who are always changing and their situation is changing. So, you know, you got all these different changing things outside of you affecting you. My students, we were planning on going on, on a field trip tomorrow to help at the Ironman event. Well, my students have to go babysit because their mom's going out of the country. Or my students have to go work or they have to go help with something else. Or, hey, dad just called and, you know, I haven't seen him in several weeks. And so it's my birthday. So now he's going to take me on a trip out of town and I, well, I can't say no. So now all of a sudden I'm leading these kids that aren't there. So it's adapting to that situation, leading them well. And it's like, okay, well, you know what? Hey, we're in high school. This is not uh, a job. This is not life or death. You know, hey, if my kid was in that situation, if I'm taking my kid out of town, I don't really care what you say as a coach or athletic trainer. I'm going to take my kid. I'm not asking you for permission to take my kid, so you got to deal with it. Okay, cool. So me, Jeremy, the athletic trainer, are passing, and I have to deal with those conditions, and I have to be able to lead them as their situation changes and as they deal with and navigate their family life. So leading pretty easy leading well is super hard and that's why we've talked about it for now the third year we there's thousands I think I think I looked up last year I think there was 13,000 books dealing with leadership and that was last year and so I think at this point there's probably you know 20,000 since everybody wrote a book over COVID so true um yeah I just think that uh, you know but here's the my also thought is everybody wants to be in that leadership role kind of like hamilton wanted to be in that leadership role or um aaron burr wanted to be in that leadership role but did they truly know i think people want to be i want to be the boss but then when they get into that when you get into the room where it happens like i said maybe it's not as easy as you once thought or it's wow this is a lot harder than i anticipated and you know i I can't rule like King George. I can't just say it is what it is. You know, you got to collaborate. You have to, you know, uh, take other people's thoughts, opinions, and formulate a cohesive plan. So that's, uh, I, I see a lot of younger professionals that want to, you know, I won't do, I, you know, I guess the other good examples, I, I, I'm not going to do it the way he did it or she did it, uh, or that was a bad decision on her part, his part. So I would have done X, you know, or great example, you know, Monday morning quarterback Monday, uh, or, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Of course, it's, it's easy to think, okay, well, that didn't work out for him or her, but they, uh, you know, I would have done X, you know, and then, but does that really make you a better leader? You know, what if you would have done, you don't know what happened at what they say, the higher altitude or the higher level of their organization, you know, what's going on that you are not privy to. So that's the, one of the easy, one of the harder things to know is, and I I'm guilty of it as too, as well, but you know, I'm not in that room sometimes. And I'm def I'm not in that room now where the leadership happens uh, for organizational um, structure and decisions. I, I want to be, but my uh, role has changed now, unfortunately. So, so last year at the end of the year, um, I was doing a podcast with Casey Polk and talking about Sway and all that other stuff. But um, it just so happened, like right at the end of the year, there was a position of leadership, which was basically my supervisor uh, was leaving. And so I applied for that. And being one of the more senior athletic trainers in the district, you know, I felt like I was a pretty good fit. I had an idea of what was going on in the district, of what different people needed, 
um, things like that. And and I think, you know, I, I was one of the five final candidates interviewed. I didn't get that job. And so then there's a mix of, you know, I'm a little disappointed, but really I'm fine with it. Because in the interview, I told him, I, I said, I live here in Pasadena. My kids go here. I work here. If you guys don't pick me, I'm still going to work at Pasadena High School. I'm not wanting to leave my job where I am. I'm just wanting to help lead us to something better. And then, you know, with all this stuff, I've, I've talked to the guy, Matt. Um, he worked, he was an athletic trainer in the in the Houston area. And, you know, we've been friends for a long time. And I told him a couple of weeks ago, I was like, hey, dude, I'm glad that you got the job and not me. Because obviously he knew I was applying. And I wanted to make sure that he knew that I wasn't like upset or anything. It wasn't his decision. And then, you know, as we continue to talk and <clears throat> talk about things that are going on, my whole goal is to help him lead us to something better. Right? It, it wasn't ever about I need to be in that position. I need that for me or for whatever. Or I'm the best person. I'm like, no, if I want the best person here. That's why I sent out a huge email saying, hey, come either be my boss or take my job because I wanted either the best person there or the best person here to replace me to work with Sophia and these kids that I would be leaving. And <clears throat> I think that's... That's an important step is being, is not needing that position. You know, like, like I want that. I want that. I want that. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to lead where I am. I want to help. You know, I want to do this. But then again, when I take, when I take a step back and, you know, after I've talked to Matt and just some of the, all the new COVID policies and the new, this, this policy and that policy and that stuff, honestly, I'm terrible. Like it just, it doesn't interest me at all. I don't care. I'm like, I, just tell me just okay just make it really simple this is what we're doing that's it good I'm good with it I don't I don't care anymore just tell me and so realistically like I've told him before I'm, I'm glad it was you and not me because I think you're better <laughs> for this job there was a change where this you know said hey we want everybody wearing pants on the sidelines and not shorts at a varsity football game and for a long time that's not been a requirement an issue and then if I was to step in and say that, well, it makes a big difference versus me that's been here that's, you know, everything's been okay with it versus somebody new coming in saying, hey, this is the new expectation. This is what we're going to do. Let's get it done. So it kind of changes things. And I know further down, you're going to talk about the book, Boss versus Buddy or Boss to Buddy or something like that. And so it kinda, that kind of fits there. And I want to hear more about that as we go along. But what else have you got about King George? So going through that that song um you know another point that king george made um the uh the uh was you know when they when your people say they hate you don't come crawling back to me uh and as a recovering people pleaser that, that's kind of you know that is off a roll off of um strengths finder uh people pleasing uh then I strive to make everybody feel equitable and try to look for the win-win situation. And I want everybody to be relatively happy. Uh, but uh, during my time, I just, I, I noticed, or I felt that win-win doesn't work, work out sometimes. And somebody's going to be angry with your decisions that you are not angry, disappointed, or not like your decision. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't say my people's, my employees hated me, but uh, but some of those decisions didn't meet with high favor. And uh, as you can uh, probably, you know, figure, figure out, it just wasn't, um, you know, all uh, super, super easy. So I, our leadership team, we did a kind of a 360 survey, uh, an employee year yearly, you know, we uh, did a you know, Google survey or survey monkey, 10 questions. It's like, how you think, Things are how you're treated, how you're, how you feel like you're engaged, uh, what things you like change or like things do you like, and I was expecting you know people be neutral to relatively positive about everything, and uh, uh, the uh, when we got the results, it was like wow, you know, it was they were more neutral to slightly disagreed in some areas that I we thought we were doing well, I thought I thought I was doing well, so I kind of took it personally that. Uh, they uh, were not happy with our leadership style. 
some things we couldn't change. You know, we, there's only so much we could do about the pay, about the pay rate. Um, there's only so much we could do on, uh, you know, working hours. Uh, but people thought it was unfair that some athletic trainers, some of our staff got to do X when they didn't get to do uh, that and why they were passed over for, um, or not passed over, but didn't give the opportunity for uh, transfers or well, I guess you wouldn't know if it's a promotion to go from a high school to a college, but uh, I was really, it was a point of reflection and a reevaluation of leadership style and our team's leadership style. Um, we, uh, you know, each had our own strengths and weaknesses in the, in our leadership team, uh, the, but the employee survey really showed uh, my faults as, as a leader and our faults as a overall overall organization i thought that was one of our main our good uh, key points too is our leadership team was all athletic trainers so you really could i didn't feel our employees could have a an issue because we've all done what they were doing in some aspect so i thought that was a, a key of our organization is you have leadership at basically the highest levels that are all athletic trainers so they all we all have done what you were asking you to do. What I didn't realize was the the uh, the, the different uh, change in in uh, you know perceived work, I guess, is and and working um, in the athletic training room. Uh, us older, more seasoned athletic trainers, you know, we, it's been talked about many times about you know putting in the time, kind of sacrificing. Um, you know, your, your time for the, the team, for the sport, for the season. Whereas now, uh, and I learned now that, you know, you got to set boundaries, you got to set time, you got to, uh, you know, you're not, we don't want you to work. I, and then I, I also said, we don't, I don't want you to work, you know, more than 60 hours a week, or maybe you work 60 hours a week now, but come in the summertime when, uh, there's nothing going on at the institution, you know, you could, you're going to get paid a full 40 hours for working 30, you know, um, or, you know, if you, we constantly had people going to different places to different, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote vacations or, or bereavement or illnesses. And thank goodness we had our PRN our floater and uh, athletic trainers and, even though they didn't like to, to do that. And that was a main, a sticking point is we were asking our staff to do uh, ex, quote unquote extra, not part of their job to cover another school for another athletic trainer that was ill or that had a funeral or a life event, um, or just to take the, the, the load off of, you know, one athletic trainer. We were short staffed probably most of our three to four years so that was a big hang up. Try to make it worth their while, but uh, there was only so much we could do. And we felt, you know, I felt like I could, I wanted to do more, but it just was, couldn't do, could not do more. But uh, again, trying to motivate those, those individuals to show them, Hey, if you help us out with, with, with this, you know, we can cut, we can take your clinical time away. We can do some other things. We can, uh, assist you you know down the road you won't see the reward now but um, that was a uh, an interesting uh, uh, watershed moment the, the employee 360 so uh, the uh, or survey you know that whereas and going back to what you know the king said you know when your people say they hate you don't come crawling back to me uh, that was like yeah, you know, I got in this leadership role and hey, I wanted to do all good and I wanted to help everybody. And I thought I could really, you know, strive forward. Same thing in, in uh, state leadership uh, with our Athletic Trainer Association and, and, and district. It's, you know, hey, I want to be a voice at the table. But then you get in there and it's, you know, okay, I'm a, I'm a voice, but uh, I don't know all the intricacies of everybody. So, um, and I see Mr. John Seco has, has joined us. So, uh, John, we're talking about, uh, you know, the King George and, 
and uh, what comes next. So uh, love to hear your thoughts on uh, what you think about the, uh, the song of King George, what comes next and how hard it is to lead. It's, we've talked about that. And then we just finished up with the, when the people say they hate you, don't come crawling back to me. So It's interesting, right? Like, you know, everybody wants to be in that leadership position. And then you have to realize what comes with those. Um, you know, I'm actually currently writing about leadership uh, for my, my MBA. And I, I was reflecting on pretty much just that um, and the ability to stay humble and have humility as a leader, to listen to people and to reflect and, and use their information that they're providing you and, and then acting on it. Leaders who don't act on those suggestions, whether it's a positive or negative suggestion, uh, you know, they could really lack that humility. And then we wind up spitting and screaming and singing it all at the same time, just like King George did. So uh, I enjoyed that, that portion of it. And, you know, when you start talking about leadership, you, you really start re viewing it in everything. And I'm glad we're talking about Hamilton because obviously it does touch on some really good leaders in our history's past uh, and even some negative leaders uh, across the world like a King George uh, that led America to where we are now. So one of the things ever, that, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. One of the things that uh, you mentioned, Patrick is the, you know, Hey, you're working 60 hours here and, you know, but you may be taking time off later. And as we're discussing Hamilton, that's one of the things with, you know, Hamilton, they talked about he worked tirelessly and he was always working and he was always driven to, to work and work and work. And then he ended up having the affair and, you know, causing all these issues because he was always driven to work and wasn't ever taking that time to focus on, on the other, what, what is happening locally. So like next week, I said, is, is our bye week And at the beginning of the year, whenever I'm scheduling, you know, who works what day. So I'm working the JV football game last night. Uh, Sophia's working the volleyball game tonight, that kind of thing. Um, so scheduling who's working those, I put on that open week, I said, Sophia, take a day off because of that thing. It's like, hey, you need some time too, right? I have a family. I don't mind taking days off. I, I've got now five kids at home. Taking days off is is normal, right? I'm going to take days off. But with her being single, she might feel his burden to be here all the time. Like, look, just take that time. Take a day off to refresh because that's important, right? That's a day for her to do whatever she wants, whether that's wash clothes and meal prep or sleep in and watch Netflix. It doesn't matter. It's about knowing your people and saying, hey, you need some time. I got you. Right. So. Yeah, working nonstop is, is, uh, as Hamilton said, that's another you know great little lesson in that musical. I hear that all you know why you write like you're running out of time. You know, I don't know how he did it. I really, I mean, it's back in the day, no computer, no nothing. You know, no electricity, so no distractions. Yeah, well, plenty of distractions, I guess. He, you know, but uh, he, yeah, it's just amazing that. Uh, but I, I thought of that exactly too. You know, athletic trainers are like sometimes turn themselves into Hamlin. I get, I got to work, work, work to get ahead. You know, like, uh, you know, Aaron Burr says to him, you know, that Hamilton writes like he's running out of time. His face is an uphill climb the whole time because he has to prove himself. So he feels like he has to outwork everybody to prove himself. Whereas Burr was, you know, as he says, a trust fund baby. So, um, yeah, I, that, that's another theme that, interwines through that whole musical is you know and i feel about think about athletic trainers who feel like they have to out i have to outwork you to show that i'm better than you and that kind of goes back to what we've talked about before is you know wearing wearing busy as a badge of honor is one of my podcasts uh talk about many times or hey i put in 60 hours this week what did you do john you did 40 well okay i'm better than i i've proven to whoever yourself, I guess, that I'm the better athletic trainer because I was able to put in more time. Uh, I think that's, that's a fallacy and, and we have to get away from that. And I, 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 I can't remember who said it on this podcast, you know, 
the, the amount of busy time or time where away working is not a badge of honor. It doesn't show you how good or bad you are. It's the quality of your work and the efficiency of your work. Be efficient. Uh, we've, you know. Yeah, I think what happens there is, is people end up comparing themselves to other people. And that's really, really easy to do as a young athletic trainer. And I think if any one of us were to say that, no, we didn't do that as a young athletic trainer, I think we'd be lying to ourselves and our audience. I think what happens is people continuously have to compare themselves to other people, not to who they were yesterday. And when you do that, you build that ego that I worked, Patrick, you worked what, 40 hours last week? Well, I worked 41. So now I'm one better than you in my own mind. To you, that may absolutely means nothing. Now, somebody comes to me now and says, I worked 30 hours this past week. And I said, how do I do that? <laughs> how do I do that? Or the way I build my ego from that is to say, I worked 29, right? So we start working opposite, but really the lesson here is, and it goes back to Hamilton is wait for it. Like you said, wait for it, wait for it. When you, when you listen to that song and you hear them, Obviously, he's pushing, he's working himself tirelessly. He wants to have more and more and more, so much more that he ends up getting into a fight with the bursar from the college because he wants to accelerate his program. He wants to get through so he can start fighting in the revolution. He wants to do all these things at such a young age because he wants to prove to himself. Now, I don't know if he was trying to build his ego, if his, if his motives were really about the revolution, which I'm assuming they were, but there's ego in there as well. And we have to look at that. We have to look at ourselves and where our ego is and where our, hum our humility is and say, am I going to compare myself to you or am I going to compare myself to who I was yesterday and be humble about who that person is and was to build on my future? And is my f future worth waiting for? There's a, a line that I absolutely love. It's not from the, the uh, show, but um, it's, are you willing to sacrifice who you can be tomorrow for who you are today. So, you know, are you willing to take those steps, those risks today for the potential of yourself tomorrow? And one of those things that we have to sacrifice, and this is going to sound weird, we're going to have to sacrifice our ability to work. Because am I a good person when I work 28 hours out of one day? No, I'm not. All I'm trying to do is better my ego by saying I worked more than you. And I think a lot of athletic trainers fall into that trap. And when they fall into that trap, it's crabs in a bucket because it's, it's the commiserating that happens within our profession, the constant commiserating because nobody's willing to do the necessary things to better the profession or themselves other than working harder and longer. And that's not a good thing to, to be a part of. Agreed. Agreed. I think it also resonates in with our athletic background because you listen to coaches talk about give 110%. Uh, you know, what's the other, the other team's working harder than you. So, you know, you guys need to work harder than them, you know, or what have you done to beat, you know, the Chicago bears today, you know? Um, so I don't know, maybe we hear that and subconsciously, okay, I, I'm part of the team. I'm part of the, this athletic team. I want to, you know, prove to the coach that I can, I can work just as hard as these guys, you know, so then, but I, I, I noticed that in my early tenure, you know, the coaches were, Hey, we're going to practice at six o'clock in the morning on Saturday because Friday night we didn't do very well. And, you know, we're going to sh show that, you know, we can outwork people or, well, do we take, we take that internally, I think as athletic trainers and we, and then it becomes a vicious cycle, vicious loop, like you said, you know, and um, it's, 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 uh, it's not healthy, as we found out. So. so, John, one of the questions Patrick had here is, have you had a survey, um, an evaluation that opened your eyes or didn't go as expected? So I, for me, I, I haven't really had very many evaluations that were like, oh, hey, this is what you need to work on. Usually it's like, you know, all right, he's proficient, he does this well, that kind of thing. Um, I don't, maybe it's also just my ego saying, well, I don't really care. You don't know what I'm doing anyways, um, because it's, I'm kind of a whatever. Um, 
and and so I don't know that I have an evaluation specifically said, hey, you really need to work on communication. Hey, you really can improve in this area. But what do you think, John? Have you had an evaluation like that? It's It's been a while since I've had an evaluation. Um, when it comes to athletic training and my skills, things like that, it's, it, it hasn't been, God, since my uh, my days working at the university level. Um, and those analyses were, you know, they were overseen by our district head or not district head, I'm sorry, our department, um, you know, within the athletic department. So it was an AD looking at it and he knew nothing about what we did. And so those did fall on deaf ears, uh, you know, whether it was the, you know, what, what can we do better or what do you need to do better? It, the, the communication was just, it was terrible because they saw uh, what we did as one way and we, we saw it another way and we weren't able to, to communicate on that and uh, couple that with a, you know, a young 22 year old athletic trainer who we just spoke about, you know, um, that those, there was going to be zero, um, you know, work on those analyses, but uh, actually we, we just completed our district just completed a, a SWOT analysis of our whole department. Uh, and that was, eye-opening to say the least. Uh, it wasn't specific to me, but it was uh, overcompassing of, of our district and our department, athletic uh, athletic department. So it did show our weaknesses, our strengths, things like that, and where we can get better at. And um, when you ask the community that you serve, what can you do better? You have to, you have to listen and you have to be willing to act on those things. Because when you don't act, uh, you're gonna lose a lot of trust within the community and the people you serve. That's true. That's true. You got to act on the, the surveys and that's what we, what we did. So uh, taking it to another level here, you know, George Washington said, Win winning is easy and leading is harder. You know, uh, we, we talk about leading, leading your peers is probably the most difficult where you have been in the trenches with somebody as a coworker, coworker, and now you're leading them as a supervisor. Um, there's been athletic trainers that I, that I have, I still work with and we're back to being coworkers now versus supervisor employee. But, uh, there were four, uh, athletic trainers, I believe that I now became their supervisor. And that was, I knew it was going to be difficult because you, it's, it's kind of like being the teacher at the school in the teacher's lounge. And then all of a sudden you want to be the principal, the assistant principal, and now you got to be you know, responsible for them. So, um, this was a, what about a couple of months ago, there was a Facebook post I, I in the secondary school group that you may have saw where an employee was ranting to her quote unquote friend who now was in a supervisory role. And she had to act on what she said to her. The, the, the employee took it as, hey, I'm talking to my friend. I'm ranting about how, I, how whatever happened, bad it was. And the, 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 uh, friend who now supervisor had couldn't not act on what she had learned so she had to uh report her to her supervisor and then there was some repercussions and then the friend was very upset that she turned her in and uh that that is a, a line i never wanted to get into uh and i wasn't i'm not exactly sure what was said or what what it was about or what you know i don't believe she was fired over this but uh i did a lot of anecdotal reports on a lot of our employees uh, just to make modifications to their uh, their quote-unquote behavior uh, because if you tell a person hey uh, i'll take jeremy's example don't wear we need to wear pants on friday night you know uh, and if i show up at your game and you're wearing shorts or yoga pants those are not what we discussed. So we're going to have to write it down and we're going to talk about it. Um, it's not a, a penalty. You're not getting docked pay. You're not getting a, a quote unquote strike. But if it continues, then we have to go around a, 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 a disciplinary action. Uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, sometimes that's just the way it goes. There's a, there's a book that I, I have. It's called Buds to Boss by Guy Harris and Kevin Eikenberry. And I, I've read it. It's, it's, it takes that very situation into account. You know, we, you're, you're your buddies 
you know, because you work together and then all of a sudden one person gets promoted or moves into a supervisory role and then you have to not be their bud, you have to be their boss. And then that's where it turns not to fame and glory. And um, it's difficult to separate uh, that friendship. It depends on how long that friendship is too. It's, you know, if you have been friends for 20 years and then now you're a boss and then that person does something that is one, I guess, fireable, terminable, that's got to be a tough conversation to have. I just, I, I, you know, or do you say, well, we've been friends for 25 years, you know, you let the slide. Well, then you're not doing the position credit too. So what are your thoughts, gentlemen? I have, of course, a book by Jocko Willink sitting right next to me. And that's my only time I'll talk about Jocko this episode and and this, uh, this series, but um, it, it reminds me of, of, of how to lead and, and the chapter of resolute, but not overbearing. Uh, and I'll just quickly read a leader, not leader cannot be overbearing, but the guy, but the dichotomy here is that the leader cannot be too lenient and let things slide when safety mission success and long-term good of the team are at stake. You know, so when we talk about peers, you know, if we go into things as equals and then one person is chosen to lead, you start out with that expectation of being a, a continuous peer. But when you're working towards a goal and you ask somebody to lead, then they have to lead. Uh, and there's two part side to this or two sides to this in that the subordinate then has to understand that that person is their, um, their supervisor and then vice versa. The best way to go about this is, is lay out those expectations. Say, listen, I have to lay down the law when I need to. I have to be lenient when I need to. There's going to be times as a friend that you're going to feel that I'm mistraying, uh, betraying your trust because I have to side this way versus another way. Um, but if you lay out those, those expectations of the organization, mm-hmm. if you lay out those expectations of whatever the mission and the goals are that you're trying to accomplish, then it should be an easier transition to go from that peer to a leader. And that's what we see a lot is people will take a leadership position, not understand how to be a good leader. They're more of a manager. And then when things go array because they didn't set the standards that need to be withheld, that's when you have the troubles. So I, I constantly talk about communication and how important communication is. And, and as a leader, you have to have foresight too. You have to know that if there's an issue coming up, if you have been a peer or a friend with somebody, you're going to have to know what their response is to that. And you're going to have to, you know, head it off at the path. Uh, because if you don't, then you're going to lose trust of either that peer or other people that are working with you. Um, so it's, it's constant communication. It's, it's trying to get people to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And when you're able to do that, I think people tend to fall in line more with what, uh, what the goals are of what you're trying to accomplish. So another part I'd like to touch on it. It's in King George song is, you know, really the truly what comes next, you know, um, the young America has just been the battle of your town. The world turned upside down. America is going to, is now a fledgling nation. You know, so King George says, what comes next? So you can insert, you know, you're, you're now a new certified athletic trainer and you're quote on your own. You know, it, that's a, it was a scary time for me. It w- luckily I had good mentors and good uh, position there, but I, when I was in the supervisory role, I didn't want any new athletic trainer. We, we were entry level, you know, job uh, positions that we, we hired. Um, I really didn't want any new certified athletic trainers to feel they were on their own or on an Island out at their school or their site by themselves. So we, I would hope that, organizations and we developed a great mentoring program i thought and a solid onboarding program with with checks weekly checks or you know 30-day checks and a support system we had a an athletic trainer that would round uh, monthly with every site checking in with them checking with all our staff to not so much to see if there's anything that to check quote unquote check up on them to see if they're right wearing the right uniform but to truly check in on them if there's any issues be their advocate um, for them with athletic directors, with us, with the staff. So we found 
that a good support system with help with employee intention, re retention, and job satisfaction. But and like I said, I don't want to be King George and say, "Don't you know? Don't come crawling back to me. Uh, you're out of your school. You're on your own." Uh, that I was thought that was that's a terrible uh, way to lead, um, especially our younger uh, early career athletic trainers. That um, leadership is a you know a servant. You need to be a servant to those people, and they should uh, lead who and serve those who they lead, and not be a a dictator such as or a king like King George. So, what do you guys think about being on your own? I think he gives some really good advice to start. You know, he's he said, "Hey, listen, things are going to go bad. Things are going to go really well." Um, and then he he you know, ends it right there by saying, don't come crawling back to me. You know, a true leader is going to take a look at somebody, give them the potential for, you know, bad news or what could happen. And, um, Hey, you know, your first day, you know, this could happen. That's a bad situation to be in, but how are you going to be prepared for it? <clears throat> you know, and then instead of saying, don't come crawling back to me, a, a good leader would really say, come back to me with your issues. How can I help you resolve those issues? How can I help you help yourself resolve those issues? Um, you know, I, I, I love looking at terrible leaders because we learn the most. I feel I learn the most from those bad leaders because it's, it's easier to, to look at something and say, I'm going to do the opposite for me. And when I look at some of these bad leaders in, in the historical past, uh, it's, it's like, okay, yeah, that's it. You know, this, this leader was a really good leader and there's books written about this person. I think if you start pigeonholing yourself into doing things exactly how they would, you, you could go, you know, astray. But when you look at that and it says, don't come crawling back to me. I know I would never say that to a subordinate because I want them to come back to me if they need help. Uh, and, and then once again, you have to have humility when they do come back to you because you may not have the answer. And that means you have to find the answer then. And then, you, you know, you're really testing your leadership skills. So speaking of come crawling back to me, last night at the varsity football game, I had a student from when I worked at my previous high school, George Bush, that was, this is my 15th year at Pasadena. So she texts, like she Facebook messaged me, said, hey, I'm at the game. And, I, you know, I didn't see it because I'm at the game. So then she calls me on Messenger. I'm like, what the heck was my phone just buzzing? So she's like, hey, I'm here at the game. So after the game, I went and talked to her. So, you know, it's been 15 years since I've seen her. But she's like, hey, you know, I'm uh, I'm going back to college now because I want to continue to pursue athletic training. So I want to do sports medicine. I want to end up working, you know, with professional sports, even though it's, you know, 10, 15 years later than I would have thought. But it's pretty cool that she wanted to share that with me. And that's something that, you know, I was there for three of her four years of high school and, just being being able to say, yeah, I'm here. I'm I'm here for you to come back to me. I know I'm not leading you in that profession, but it was really cool for me. So, Laney Lane, good luck on your uh, pursuit of athletic training and working in the profession in professional sports. Yeah, that's all great points, John. I mean, you get as a leader, you want to have that person come back, and you know that's totally true. And I I totally agree. You look at other leaders and you. It kind of goes back, echoes what we started at the beginning. You know, you 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 model your leadership style off of other people, and you see what happened earlier. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. What that person did, I don't want to do. I don't want to handle it that way. Uh, but and it's also it's a, a lot of learning. A lot of learning. You're going to make mistakes as a leader. You know, as uh, as we all know, you're going to make mistakes as an athletic trainer as well. Um, you learn from those mistakes. You uh, you don't want to make the, the the big mistake, of course. You know that's why we are trained and have all of our education. Um, but you know, uh, it, a mistake is a learning experience. A continued mistake is, or you continue to make the same error, then you then that's a problem, and you need to to correct that. Um, but that, that's a, a, a great point. You know, you, you, you model your leadership after other, other, other leaders, but also 
I, I take that a little bit too. You have to make sure that that you don't know what that leader had to do and what that what their higher altitude in the organization there may be constrained some things that you just don't know, you know, uh, or there are other factors. And that was, that was a good part of my issue with leading in the first part of the, the episode. We, I made, we made decisions for the staff and they didn't like it or they were not, they didn't find favor, but they didn't know that there was so much more at the, at the higher level that I was being told to do or instructed to do, or, just physically couldn't could not make their wishes happen. You know, it made sense to me. Yeah, sure, it'd be great. But there's all these other constraints that you just are not aware of. And I was not aware of until you get into the room where it happens, as I was saying. So great points, John. Great points. Did, did we talk about that that song yet? I, I've been I was thinking about that a lot. And the room I, where it happens. Yeah. I feel no, like we, we, last year was, we did a good bit when we were talking about like COVID and stuff. Cause I know, yeah. I know that you mentioned that multiple times in the room where it yeah. happens. We're talking about COVID. I did. Yeah. It was so on my I, list. <laughs> I want to, I want to discuss that song and that topic, but a little bit differently. Obviously we, you know, we, we want our athletic trainers to be in the room or at the table, but I was really looking at it as a leader because part of that song is two individuals diametrically opposed enter a room and when they came out they agreed as a leader sometimes you want to avoid conflict conflict is constant friction between two opposing things and that's a pitfall that some people fall into because they want to avoid conflict. They want to have everything nice and rosy as a leader because that's when it's easy. I've noticed over time that when things are nice and easy for too long, people become complacent. Things become complacent. And when that happens, things start to go awry and you're unable to handle the issues that arise because everybody has fallen in line to a fault and are not entering into conflict to help change the way we think. I thought about it a little bit because it, you, you're looking at two, two oppositions and, and the friction that's created in conflict, almost always there's a resolution, but that resolution typically is um, people agreeing on something at, at some point and that agreeance drives the resolution so that you're able to create something that will help things you know work in the future um, you know we're going to constantly come up with issues and, and things that are wrong and how are we going to um, you know fix things but if everybody in the room is a yes man and agreeing with the leader things really aren't going to turn out that well and that's what I was really thinking about when it came to the, that song. And obviously we can talk a little bit more about, um, you know, getting athletic trainers into the room and at the table and how they can do that. But I, I wanted to, to bring that up before and, and see what everybody's thoughts were when it comes to conflict and uh, how leaders handle conflict. Yep. Definitely the, if you let it sit, it's like an infection. If you let it sit, then it's usually not going to just go away. So just recently there was an issue where somebody was somebody was mad at me for one thing or another I don't really know but they were <laughs> basically like staring me down I was like hey did you have something to say to me oh what, we're gonna do this right here I'm like yeah sure what what's up and I stepped into that situation and then the the expectations apparently had changed it's like hey if the expectations change and you don't tell me I can't meet those expectations. And so it's just, it's, it's a matter of stepping into that situation and saying, what do you need so that we can get move forward so that we can succeed? And I feel like, I feel like that situation has been taken care of and resolved. Um, but it was really just a matter of, I could have just left it or I could have even pulled back and fought harder, but to lead my program, to lead my kids, to lead sports medicine here I needed to step into that situation 
like I said, step into that room, have a quiet conversation and say, how can we work together to win, meet what you need to meet what I can do and put those together. So being in that room, stepping into that conflict, having those quiet conversations, looking for win-win, it's, it's crucial for any sort of growth. Patrick? Yeah, I, uh, I'll echo that and I'll, I'll, I'll shoot out another book that's uh, been a great uh, help with that. The, uh, um, it's by, um, oh gosh, I just lost it. <laughs> it's one of my more favorite books uh, by uh, the FBI, uh, former FBI Never guy. Never Split uh, the Difference. Never Split the Difference. Thank you. And um, and uh, talks, talks about that. He doesn't believe in the win-win uh, too much uh, because uh, to win, somebody has to lose. But you talk about, you know, negotiating and uh, I've done a lot. Of, I've done a deal, dealt a lot with that. Going back to the diametrically opposed foes, when they entered that room, you know, uh, what what happened? Well, it, the, they conceded to put the Capitol in Washington, D.C. to give to help Hamilton get the votes he needed. So you needed to there's concessions that need to be made um, and uh as like uh, Madison says, how would you like to work or live closer to work? You know, so Jefferson lived in Virginia. So uh, that was kind of the, fu- the funny part there. So you have to go into that room um, with, with uh, you know, uh, concessions in mind. But I, d- I just love that part. That's a great part, John, because how did that happen? There was no text messages. There was no internet. You know, they just talked to say, and went into a room where it happens, where into the room, just those two guys or three guys, Madison, Jefferson, and Hamilton, I think, kept her out. So it was all quote unquote secretly done. Uh, and now you come out of the room, okay, the Capitol, we're gonna move the Capitol from New York to Washington, DC. We're gonna give Hamilton his votes for the, the plan for the treasury. And 200 and some years later, this is where we're at, you know, it's, uh, God, it's just amazing. Um, I don't know how they did that, you know, how they, you know, there's a lot of things in that, in history and night in the early 1800s, 17, late 1700s. How did it happen? How did they know? How did they, there was no Twitter. There's no, I can't text, you know, I'm in Indiana. How do I get, how does some, how do I tell Jeremy in Texas how does he know what, what I'm going to do? I have to send it in a letter on the, with a horse to get to Pasadena, Texas. When does that get there? Three weeks from now? I don't know. And that's if everything stayed, you know, together. There's no, no electricity. So, I mean, John and I maybe can communicate within about two weeks because he's in Detroit and I'm over here near Chicago. So, Maybe the Pony Express or the horse carriers were carrying letters faster, but gosh, just it just amazes me how they were able to do all this collaboration and hammer out a nation with none of the modern conveniences we have or inconveniences we have. No Facebook Live, no Zoom call, no. It was just, you know, 13 guys, 14 guys hammering out stuff. And then now we're at where we're at today. It just it's amazing. It's amazing. And they made concessions to, to hammer out a, a nation. So. And I want that to be kind of the lesson is I, you're going to have to make concessions in your future. You're going to have to make concessions with, with issues that, that arise, uh, whether they're personal, professional, uh, and you're going to have to be okay with conflict. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have to fight everybody that you come in contact with but you're going to have disagreements and you're going to have to be okay with making a concession on a disagreement, or you're going to have to be able to adequately articulate what your needs are so that the other person can concede. Um, you know, but it doesn't mean that you have to fight the person. It doesn't mean that has to be physical, um, but you have to be smart enough to know that you will have conflict. You will have to concede yourself and you will have to spend more time convincing the other person of your point of view. And, and, you know, they talk about it in the, in the show. Uh, we don't know what happened. I'd love to know what happened in that room. 
But think about your job right now. What conversations are happening in rooms that you don't know about? You know, we, and we said this last year, let's get at the table. Let's force ourselves at the table in those rooms. It is a lot easier now to find out about when these meetings happen. You know, so keep, keep your ear to the ground as a young athletic trainer. Understand that you have something to offer, but also be willing to concede if, if you don't get your way. And, and that's a hard lesson too for, for many people to learn. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times people don't learn that lesson and, and they go on about their lives very unhappy because things don't always go their way. So one last thought before we wrap it up, uh, I was talking with our new district athletic trainer. So again, my supervisor, Matt, and he said they had a really small athletic training facility and they were actually getting ready to take away that athletic training facility because they were building a new building and something like that. And one of his coaches said, hey, you need to be at this meeting tomorrow because they're discussing how they're going to get rid of your athletic training facility but they hadn't talked to him at all. And so again, it's about building up those allies and people are going to, who are going to fight or battle for you and, or, you know, keep you informed because sometimes they just don't inform you. And again, you do need to be in that room and you need to make yourself known. So one of the things we're trying to do is take this area, which is actually the the podcast studio. And we kind of, on the other side of it, it's a classroom uh, and kind of a storeroom, but it, it is wall to wall with our athletic training facility. So what we would like to do is instead of doing all of our rehabs out in the hallway that everybody walks by, is we'd like to, you know, punch a hole in the wall and make this, this side into uh, a functioning athletic training room. And so one of the ways that we're doing that, obviously we're collecting data, but <clears throat> we're just having conversations like, and, you know, I think it'd be really cool if we could do this and, you know, how can we do this? So then, as I'm talking about it with some of the coaches, they may mention it to, you know, one of the assistant principals or somebody they know or whoever else. And it's just about telling people, getting them on board, giving it an opportunity to grow and basically become somebody else's idea so that if you're not in the room, then they can say, hey, you may want to be in the room. So one of the big things we're talking about here is come crawling back to me if you're ever on your own. I just recently heard from Caleb Lott on Facebook. He is an athletic trainer. He was on way back in the day. He was at the Shanghai American School. Uh, and so now he's in Taiwan, I believe. But he reached out, you know, and he was pretty much on his own. He was isolated. Uh, and that was back in the day before video calls were really good. And there was a censoring, a lot of censoring of uh, Internet coming in and out of China. And so he was he was pretty isolated. Um, and so... We're looking just to hear your story. Have you been on your own as an athletic trainer? Have you been isolated? Just share some of your story with us. We'll maybe use it for uh, you know a piece next year, or maybe have you uh, be the guest there with me and John, or you know Patrick and John, or something like that. And you get to share your story and how you've kind of grown and how you were you know part of the, all these conversations, being in the room where it happened. So, Patrick, somebody wants to reach out and get a hold of you. What's the best way? Twitter. I'm on it. You can DM me if you wish. Uh, P-A-T-C-1996. Probably the best ways. All right. So look for Twitter. And if you're listening earlier this week, we talked to Dr. Matt Coos. John said his website to get all of his contact information is twitter.com slash J-O-H-N-C-I-E-C-K-O. Also known as John Seco on Twitter. Is that still accurate, John? That is very accurate. Yes. So... Going with the theme, you can reach Patrick O'Haver on Twitter. You can reach John Siegel on Twitter, or you could reach me, Mr. Jeremy Jackson, on Twitter. We would like to hear your story and share your story of being on your own, of partaking in leadership of, of your growth story as an athletic trainer. And again, continue to help improve your practice as an athletic trainer and improve the profession. So if you're listening if you're curious if you want to share you can reach out to us on twitter we can start that conversation we can do it via email uh, anything like that so reach out of course we got some partners that always support us free hydration i love those guys Uh, physicaltherapy.com so recently we started doing blood flow restriction part of the reason we got that is because of their donation to the program that helped help pay for the extra that we also got a grant from so physicaltherapy.com slash one free course, great way to get started on your CEUs. I know I've had, I think every every day I get 
two or four people signing up for the website where we can get free CEUs on the Sports Medicine Broadcast website. But if you need some more, it's about 99 bucks for a year of physicaltherapy.com. And you can get the first course free. So physicaltherapy.com slash one free course. Uh, and then there's a couple other. So if you're going with Myotech, uh, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Myotech. Hoist hydration, you can use the code DSMB for MedBridge or Mark Pro, any of that stuff. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash King George. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash King George, as we were talking about King George and Hamilton and come crawling back to me. So for John, Jeremy, Patrick, Hamilton, the musical, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks. <laughs>